you will stand with me all over the room. I'm going to read just one verse of Scripture today. Found in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 24. I'm reading from the New King James Version. reads this way. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I want to preach to you today for a few moments a message I've simply titled, You've Got a Friend. You've Got a Friend. If you will, we do something around here I want to ask you to do. Just stretch your hands toward heaven. Stretch your hands toward heaven. Pray with me and for me. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these precious people. Thank you for this worship. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. We thank you for the word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we pray today that you would anoint every ear to hear what your word says, every heart to receive what your word says, and anoint these lips of clay, Lord, that I wouldn't speak with the enticing words of men's wisdom, that I wouldn't even speak my words at all, but I would speak your words today, what you would say, and that it comes forth today in the power and the demonstration of your spirit, that it touches hearts and it changes lives, and we will forever give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, now give the Lord one big hand clap of praise, if you will, before you're seated. As the Lord began to lay this message on my heart to share with you today, there was this particular, because he gave me this title, he just spoke this title into my mind and uh, into my spirit, and there was a particular song that just kept going over and over in my mind. It was one of those songs that when you get it in your head, you just can't get it out of your head. And maybe when I gave you the sermon title or when you saw Trevor's graphic for it, maybe you did the same thing. The song that was on my mind is just a catchy little tune from a children's movie that's been around for quite some time. A man by the name of Randy Newman wrote and recorded this song for the Disney Pixar film Toy Story some 27 years ago. How many seen Toy Story? Right? This song is about the friendship of a boy named Andy and his favorite toy, Woody. And the song itself has some awesome lyrics. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take just two minutes of the service today so you can let some of those lyrics uh, sink in and listen. You know, TV and movies have tried to convince us about this thing called friendship. And even back now, this is going to tell uh, some of y'all's age, and some of these kids are not going to have a clue who I'm talking about, but even way back years ago, early on in TV, there's always been this depiction of friendship. Everybody knows that Laurel had Hardy, right? Ricky and Lucy had Tom and Ethel. Batman had Robin, and Laverne had Shirley. And even the Lone Ranger wasn't really alone because he too had Tonto. Now, this won't mean a thing to some of the younger people, but there's another show whose picture is not worthy for me to put on the screen in the sanctuary. But anyway, it spoke to the deep-seated need, and some of y'all know where I'm going with this, the deep-seated need that we all have to find a place where everybody knows your name. Can I get a witness? And they're always glad you came. Now you know why it's not on the screen. And then the last example that I'll use this morning is the show Friends. Everybody knows the show Friends. 
And the show Friends taught us in little 30-minute segments what psychologists have concluded, and that is that your ability to completely trust at least one person is the test of whether or not you are a psychologically healthy human being. Hollywood, for all of its lack of ability to actually live out the lesson of true friendship, has shown us in these shows that even though relationships can be difficult at times, and that even though there will be ups and there will be downs, it shows us that life is better lived with friends. Can I get a witness this morning? So I love seeing these young people bonding just in the one service. I was out there uh, yesterday at the four o'clock service and when they prayed together in teams of two, it was awesome uh, to see that yesterday. Studies show that if you have no one in your life that you really feel understands you, uh, and these are the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, stat the statistics, if you will, there we go is the word I'm looking for, from these studies. If you have nobody in your life who really understands you, you are two to three times more likely to die an early death. You are four times more likely to suffer from an emotional burnout. You are five times more likely to suffer from clinical depression. And you are 10 times more likely to be hospitalized for an emotional or a mental disorder. Simply put, having a friend is crucial to your health. And I want to tell you that there are two ways this morning that we can live life. One is with friends and one is without friends. And with friends is so much better. Cicero was so convinced of that that he once said this. Listen to this quote. He said, if when I die, I can count on the fingers of one hand the number of true friends that I have, I would be the wealthiest person in the world. If I could count on one hand the number of true friends that I have, I would be the wealthiest person on the planet. So for all of you, who brought somebody to church with you today. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend. Only a real friend invites people to church. Now I want to get serious for a few moments and talk to you about some folks from the Bible. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. And Solomon understood the need for friends. That's why the main text I read to you today of Proverbs 18 and 24, uh, if you read it in the today's New International Version, the TNIV, it reads this way. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Or the ESV, the English Standard Version, which says it this way. Some friends play at friendship, but a true friend sticks closer than one's nearest kin. And then the Message Bible translation says it like this, friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. I want you to listen to the depth of friendship that Solomon calls us to in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter four. In verses nine and 10, he says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. See, we 
when, with friends on our side, we are more productive people. Uh, we have a greater return on our labor. Verse 10, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So a friend is able to carry us. And then drop on down to verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So thirdly, a friend makes us stronger. Two can defend themselves, but a, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Another passage of Scripture tells us that one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put ten thousand to flight, right? So we need friends in our lives. Now, the incredibly talented, acclaimed, rich, and famous baseball player by the name of Ty Cobb, he realized this far too late. Near the end of his life in 1961, listen to the longing that he had when he said these words. He said, if I had the chance to live my life over, I'd do things a little different. I'd have more friends. He comes to the end of his life with no friends, and he realized that life isn't complete without a soul partner. As a matter of fact, that's what Aristotle's definition of friendship is. Aristotle said, what is a friend? A friend is a single soul dwelling in two bodies. I want to talk to you today about the friendship of David and Jonathan. Because one of the worst things that can happen in life is for you to come to the place that David came to where he found himself after Jonathan's death he said these words. He said, I have no man who cares for my soul. One of the greatest stories of friendship in Scripture is the story of David and Jonathan. We read in the Bible that Saul was king and that his son Jonathan was the next in line for the throne. And however, due to Saul's wickedness and his sin, God chooses to dethrone Saul's family and place David on the throne in his place. And Jonathan was keenly aware of all of this, but yet he still continued to be a friend, even though it would mean his own demise and his own downfall. And we catch a glimpse of why Jonathan not only didn't seem to be bothered by David's favor, but in fact, he helped to protect David's life. In 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1, Scripture said that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And David reveals the depth of their relationship in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 26. He gets the words of Jonathan's death and he says, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful. Watch this. More wonderful than that of women. Now listen, that sounds odd to us because most of us don't understand or fathom that kind of deep friendship between two people. Our concept of friendship, especially, particularly in this society, in this culture that we live in, our concept of friendship is so shallow and weak that we think that kind of connection that we read in Scripture there sounds weird or maybe even odd. But we need those kinds of deep, genuine friendships and connections. So you may ask, what made Jonathan the poster boy for a great friend? Well, there's many reasons, but I want to just talk about three of them today. First of all, the first one is loyalty. Jonathan was loyal. The second thing is he was selfless. Jonathan gave and gave, and he wanted nothing in return. Jonathan sacrificed himself 
for the good of his friend. He was willing to live a life of continually decreasing so that others could increase. And the third thing is that he was egoless, if that's a word. He had no ego. Jonathan wasn't jealous of other people. He preferred David over himself. So Jonathan exhibited three very important components of friendship. Now, there's four other stories in Scripture that I believe also speak to friendship that help complete the picture of a true friend that I want to paint for you this morning. So we're going to look at them very briefly. But the first one, we learn from this story that a true friend will go wherever you go. Now, that doesn't mean if somebody gets up to go to the bathroom, you go with them. Amen, somebody. A true friend will go with you wherever you go. The story of Ruth teaches us that a true friend will go where you go. Let's read Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 in the message translation. But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. And where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die, and that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. A true friend, where you go, they go. Your people are their people. And just by mere association, that makes them okay with them. Death itself cannot even separate you from a true friend. Listen to me, especially young people this morning. A true friend will travel with you when you're on the mountain, but they'll also travel with you when you're in the valley. A true friend won't abandon you when you take a wrong turn. That's why the church gets a bad rap today. Some of us aren't true friends. Because you don't turn against people just because they take a wrong turn in their life. Can I get a witness, somebody, this morning? A true friend, a true friend won't abandon you when you take a wrong turn or when you, when, even when you travel to the top. That's another one. Because see, some friends can handle your struggles, but they can't handle your success. And vice versa, some friends can handle your success, but they can't handle your struggles. And they turn on you. When money, popularity, and fun is flowing and everything's good and there's something in it for them, hello. But as soon as that comes to a stop, they bail. But a true friend will stick with you. Nothing separates you. True friends, true friends went with us, Angie and I, when we planted this church just some nine years ago. And look around, this is the second service today at what God is doing. I think we ought to give God some praise for that this morning. True friends went with us when we decided to plant this church. Some physically, but some just prayerfully, spiritually and emotionally. Sure, there were some questions, there were some that hesitated and some even laughed, but some were true friends. Listen to me this morning. You need somebody who will go with you. Secondly, a true friend will resource you. It is the truth that Jonathan and David understood in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses three and four. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Jonathan and David were committed to resourcing each other. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. See, we understand this pretty easily in marriage, but have we come to the place that we really understand it with a friend or do we hold back? 
Scripture tells us in the book of Acts, in the early church, they sold everything they had, had all things common, and took care of each other. Listen, isn't that the moral of the story of the Good Samaritan? Now, listen, I'm not telling everybody to go sell everything you've got and give it away. That's not what I'm saying. But the moral of the story of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan said, I'll use my oil. I'll use my wine. I'll use my mode of transportation. I'll use my money to make sure that you are taken care of, nursed back to health, and restored, and have the possibility of living a good life. I'll resource you for life. Uh, during trouble and after trouble, it's your health and your well-being at my expense. That's what the Good Samaritan said yesterday at the 4 o'clock service, the only one I got to attend out there with you guys uh, Pastor Joshua Johns was speaking, and he told the story about how when uh, a while back, he and Holly are still youth pastors, but as they were youth pastoring, they had a young person, a young man in their youth group whose mother was a known drug dealer, and this was in Richmond, Kentucky, and they struggled, and he had an extremely rough life, and, and they had had their electricity cut off because they didn't have the money to pay, pay for it because every time she got money, she spent it on drugs, and the young man came to Pastor Josh and Holly, and he said, We've got a generator that's running to just keep our refrigerator going so our food won't ruin and a couple lights on in the house. But now we're out of gas for the generator. Can you help us? And Josh and Holly said, yeah, we can help you, but how much is the electric bill? And he said, well, and they called the electric company, and the electric bill was over $5,000. Pastor Josh and Holly said, we don't have that kind of money, but we can keep gas in your generator. And they continually went and refilled the gas tank in that generator to keep it going. Why? Because that family was attending the church? Nope. Why? Because those people were doing things the right way? Nope. Because they made a decision, I'm going to pour into this young man who loves the Lord, who's attempting to go to church. I'm going to resource his household and that entire family for the kingdom of God. And guess what? Wait a minute before you clap. Guess what? Later on, after the young man has moved out, he's got a job, he's got a car, he's got money, he's serving the Lord. He comes back to them and he says, thank you. I'll never forget what you poured into me. God is looking for a people that will resource others for the kingdom. Thirdly, a true friend will love you. I, couldn't, I tried to think of a better way to say this. This is the best way I know how. A true friend will love you even when you stink. And I'm not just talking about B.O. Because there's probably some of that out there this weekend. I didn't smell any, by the way, while I was out there, but I'm sure there was some out there this weekend. I'm getting a witness right now from some of the volunteers. I heard, oh, you didn't smell it? <laughs> they played all kinds of outside games and all that, and, but... I think most of them took a shower before church, or the ones I stood next to did anyway, amen. The Lord knows how to protect us, don't he? Hallelujah. But anyway, a true friend will love you even when you stink. The book of Mark chapter 16 shows us that Jesus was this kind of friend. Remember, one of Jesus' closest three had done the unthinkable. And at the moment Jesus needed friendship the most, Peter denies ever even knowing him. Three and a half years of friendship cast away like it was worth nothing, back turned on him, self-centered, betrayed by one of the closest friends he had. But Jesus himself, we all need to be like Jesus. Jesus was still a true friend. We hear the kicker in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 16, but let's join the story as the women have gone to anoint the body of Jesus. 
after his death in verse 5. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, verse 7. But go, tell his disciples, oh, and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And Peter. Did you notice that Peter was singled out? Peter was remembered when he should have been forgotten or when by most of us, let me get preached down where we live right now, when somebody betrays you by most of us, Peter was remembered when most of us would forgot him. Can I get a witness this morning? Peter was included when most of us would have excluded him. Peter received a special mention. Go tell the disciples and Peter, even when he shouldn't have been mentioned or wouldn't have been mentioned by most of us at all. And Jesus teaches us that true friendship cannot be based on whether I'm perfect or whether I always do everything right or whether I am always good. No, I need somebody in my life and you need somebody in your life who will love you even when you're wrong. And I think you've got those people today if you're here who will believe in you or me even when I fail, because I do. And everybody else may think that I stink. A true friend will accept you and they'll love you in spite of your mess. A friend is one who knows you as you are, understands where you've been, accepts who you've become, and still gently invites you to grow. They call us, a true friend will call us beyond our stink. And fourthly, this morning, a true friend will die for you, not just physically. Jesus himself in John chapter 15 and verse 13, he said that the greatest example of friendship is when a person will lay down their life for their friends. Lay your life down. What does that mean? That means when I'm too busy to go, I still go. That means when I'm tired and worn out, I still muster up the energy to listen and to talk. That means when life is crazy for you, you still take the time to deal with somebody else's craziness. See, another version of this scripture says it this way, put your life on the line for your friend. A true friend, your life and your plans will stop when somebody else is in need. A friend is a Moses who will say, if you're gonna kill them, you have to kill me too. It's companions like, I don't have time to tell all the story, but uh, David, it's companions like Josheb Bathshebeth and Eleazar and Shema, who just because David had this crazy craving from water from the Philistine, they inhabited Bethlehem. The Bible said they penetrated the uh, impenetrable city and they brought David a drink. And I want you to listen to David's response. David said, this isn't mere water. This is lifeblood. They risked their very lives to bring it. They laid down their life for their friend. I ask you this morning, who is it that goes into enemy territory for you? Who is it that risked their life for you? Who do you know that you could call at any hour of the night? Who makes room in their life when there's no room to spare? 
Who takes a chance for you? I'll tell you who. Whoever that is, they're a true friend. Because there's different levels of relationship, and I'm almost finished. One man said that Jonathan, the Jonathan species, may be the scarcest species on planet Earth. Why is that? Why is a true friend so scarce? Why is a true friend so hard to find? Or better yet, why is a true friend so hard to be? Most people are not willing to go deeper into intimacy in their friendships. Now, psychologists tell us there's four levels, four stages, or levels, if you will, of relationships. Quickly, the first one is called a facade. That's small talk and public appearance. Some people never get past this and therefore they never develop deep relationships. Some of you have those kind of relationships. You speak to so-and-so and that's all you know about. Secondly, the second level is acquaintance. This is where you share some of your private sentiments and opinions, but there's a small amount of risk. The third level of relationships is friendship. And to get to this level, we must willingly become vulnerable, they tell us, emotionally. We share all types of feelings, but we still may withhold the deep ones. And then the fourth level is intimacy. This is where we expose it all. We become willing to talk about painful memories. And some of y'all have those you need to talk about. Wounds and reflections that make us and mold us into who we are. See, the problem is that some of those things sometimes can cause us to feel shame. But when you have a true friend or a real friend, you can share those things transparently with them. And they will walk with you through that. We share our dreams and our life's goals with those true friends. And I hope you have some of those types of relationships in your life. If you don't and you want them, I want to tell you this. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you energy. It's going to cost you listening, getting and keeping confidence. It's going to cost you being vulnerable, honest, and transparent. It's going to cost you taking risks, and sometimes it's going to cost you taking thick skin. Because sometimes a true friend will tell you what you don't want to hear. But it's worth it to invest in those relationships. And I want to encourage you, if you have that person in your life, you need to contact them this week. Let this serve as a reminder to you to do that. Contact them this week and love on them and let them know how thankful you are to have such a scarce treasure. And maybe that person is here with you today. You need to let them know how much you appreciate their friendship. None of us have to ever find ourselves in David's condition. Here's the good part. That's what being in the body of Christ is all about. Being friends. Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought maybe Jesus was calling. Amen. That's what being in the body of Christ, whoever that was, I'm just teasing. Don't get upset at me. They couldn't get you, so they called them. I'm glad we can laugh. Sister Karen has a saying that goes like this, if I don't laugh, I'll die. And I think that's the truth sometimes. But that's what being in the body of Christ is all about, being friends and doing life together. We try to do that around here, doing life together. That's why it's important for you to get connected to a people group. But before I close today, I want to tell you that... Well, I tell you what, he's going to get somebody. Watch everybody start grabbing for their phones, but them on you. But before we close today, if I could get your attention for just a, another moment or two, 
I also want to tell you this morning that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. This friend that I'm talking about this morning will stick even closer than blood relatives or church friends. His name is Jesus. He was loyal. He was selfless. He was egoless. He came down. I said, a friend will go where you go. He came down to where we are. And thank God today, he still comes down to where we live. Can I get a witness? He resourced us. He gave us his righteousness and power for our weaknesses. Isn't that good? He loves us in spite of our stink this morning. And a lot of us, including myself, have got some stink. It doesn't matter, though, how bad you've messed up, how many mistakes you've made. His love will never fail. His mercies are new every morning. He laid down his life for us. And I came to tell you this morning, you need him as your friend. Somebody say amen. They can go ahead and come to the music this morning. Jesus is our best friend. An old songwriter said it this way, and I think a lot of times in the church we sing it and we don't really stop to think about it and process the words. But an old songwriter said it this way. He said, what a friend we have in Jesus. All of our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege that we have to carry everything to God in prayer. And he goes on to say, oh, what peace we often forfeit. We give it up ourselves. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I asked the Lord this week, how do I adequately describe such a friend as Jesus? I can tell you that even after walking with him for a great number of years, I still feel like my words are inadequate to tell you who he really is. And I believe that the books of the Bible do it best. I said, Lord, how can I adequately describe you to somebody maybe who doesn't know you? And I began to look through the Bible and I made some notes book by book and when I find that in Genesis Jesus Christ is the seed of woman in Exodus he is the Passover lamb in Leviticus he is our high priest in Numbers he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night in Deuteronomy he's the prophet like unto Moses in Joshua he's the captain of our salvation in Judges, he is our judge and our lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In the book of Ezra, I love this, he is the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. Isn't that good? 
in Esther. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is our great shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is the loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet. Why is he weeping over souls? In Ezekiel, he's the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man walking around in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband forever. This is so good. Forever married to the backslider. The faithful husband forever married to the backslider. Won't you go ahead and stand with me? I'm almost done. In Joel, he's the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist crying, revive the work in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he is our savior. In Haggai, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is the fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanliness. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. We move to the New Testament and we find in Matthew, he is the king of the Jews. In Mark, he is the servant. In Luke, he is the son of man, feeling what you feel. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he is the savior of the world. In Romans, he is the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he's the rock that followed Israel. In 2 Corinthians, he is the triumphant one who gives us the victory. In Galatians, he your liberty. I don't know what you may be bound with today, but Jesus Christ can set you free. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is your joy. In Colossians, he is your completeness. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, he is your hope. In 1st Timothy, he is your faith. In 2nd Timothy, he is your stability. In Philemon, he is your benefactor. In Titus, Titus, he is truth. In Hebrews, he is your perfection. In James, he is the power behind your faith. In 1 Peter, he is your example. In 2 Peter, he is your purity. In 1 John, he is your life. In 2 John, he is what you're to pattern your life after young people. In 3 John, he is your motivation. In Jude, he's the foundation of everything we believe. And in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, he's the soon coming king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I hope. I hope that you're ready to meet him today. If you don't know it already, I came to tell you this morning that you've 